Uh, we're going to be in Titus 1 tonight. Titus 1. Tonight's the last night we'll touch on the, the introduction, the salutation, and we'll start getting into the meat of it. But, um, you know, sometimes when I start studying these, uh, these book studies and just diving into all that Paul is saying, you know, Paul, well, the Holy Spirit, when, when God inspired his scripture, God does not waste words. And sometimes we may just come across things like we'll look at tonight, you know, grace and mercy and peace and, and things like that. That's just not being, that's not just being polite, okay, uh, or trying to, you know, say something like you might sign off a letter, you know, sincerely, um, so-and-so. But God, you know, God is telling us things uh, all throughout Scripture. Uh, what is, you know, each of these words are, are, are chosen by the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and so... So as we look at this tonight, well, I'll just read the first four verses, but we're going to be in verse four mainly this evening. And uh, so we're in Titus 1, and the Bible says, uh, starting in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due time manifest his word through preaching, which is, excuse me, <clears throat> Uh, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, help us tonight as we open up your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch our hearts. Father, as, uh, as you've done so much already in, uh, in our church in these early days and these beginnings, Lord, I, I pray that the spirit of this portion of the text would really be the spirit of our church, that we really do desire to have spiritual relationships, uh, that we desire to have sons and daughters in the faith and to pass on what's been trusted to us. Uh, Lord, would you uh, speak to our hearts this evening? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As, uh, as we started out and we're introducing the book, of course, uh, Paul is writing a letter of encouragement, a letter of instruction to his protege, uh, Titus, that he left there in Crete uh, for some things we'll look at next week. We'll really start getting into why he left him there in Crete. But uh, there were a lot of churches that had been established, and there was a lot of uh, error, as, as was the case in many of these churches, that started trying to creep in. And, and, uh, and so there's a strong charge. We need to fix some things. We need to set some things in order. And uh, in fact, when you look at the pastoral epistles, that's 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, you're going to find a common theme, and the common theme is doctrine. Uh, doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. That's going to set things in order. Let's get back to what the Bible teaches, what the Word of God says. And so he sends him there uh, to Crete. Now he is following up and saying, look, here's some instructions for you. Here's a manual, if you would. Here are some things to give a charge. And he writes him, of course, as a servant of God and as the apostle of Jesus Christ, and we are challenged with the importance of being servants and allowing ourselves to be servants, though Paul, as credentialed as he was, oftentimes would refer to the fact that he was a bond slave, a willing servant of Jesus Christ. And we talked about um, the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Unlike the main deity of the island of Crete, Zeus, who was a liar, uh, God does not lie. In fact, he cannot lie. And uh, our eternal life is rooted, a gospel message is rooted in the fact that God keeps his promise. By the way, that's so powerful because, uh, listen, salvation is not up to you. And it's not up to me. It's us throwing our never-dying soul onto the God of all eternity 
and the and the and the plan that he had put in place. So if he could lie, that puts us in a very very vulnerable place. Uh, that's uh, that's a very difficult place. But what do we have throughout Scripture? We have a, a confidence about it. We have this. Uh, it's resting on the fact that this God cannot lie, and is able to save us. And so he talked about uh, then, of course, uh, what Paul is very passionate about: how God manifests, brings to light His Word through the, the, the means of preaching. And he talked much about preaching. And, uh, and so we saw Paul, of course, his relationship to preaching. Paul himself was a preacher. He loved preaching. He, uh, he gave himself everywhere he went. What did he do? He preached. Uh, even when he was testifying before King Agrippa, what did he start doing? He started preaching. He started sharing his testimony and, uh, and, um, and challenging him, going all the way back, in many cases, would go back to uh, uh, Old Testament writings and to, uh, to the prophets and what they said. And, and uh, he preached everywhere. And so, so, it, uh, so we see Paul's relationship to preaching, and now in uh, verse 4, we're going to see his relationship to preachers. You know, it's interesting how, how you know, Paul made such an emphasis, and he said how God, God had made manifest his word through preaching. Uh, so it's a little wonder that he would say, have an emphasis on his preacher boys, so to speak, his ones that he's training up uh, to, uh, to carry it on. You see... It, Paul's calling was not only to preach the word of God, but Paul was wanting to impart truth into the next generation. You see, even the great apostle Paul was, uh, was flesh and bones. He was not going to live forever. And so, so what was going to be left behind was what he had put in place, what he had trained uh, others, and the things that thou hast uh, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commitment that are faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And the pattern was now in place as, uh, as, as Timothy would then take up that charge and, and Titus would take up that charge and those others that he would train would take up that charge and they would then train others. And as those people would come up, they would take up the charge and they would begin to train others. Here we are 2,000 years later doing the same pattern. And that's a great challenge for us as a church. Listen, we need to be looking at that pattern. It's not just about, oh, you know, the wisdom of Pastor Richard. <laughs> it's, it's taking the word of God, trying to impart into lives, and, 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 and getting people to the place where they have a working, uh, not just knowledge and understanding of Scripture, but know how to take those truths and pull it out and study the Scriptures for themselves so that they too can pass it on to the next, next generation. You see, ever since the time of Christ... Christianity has always been one generation away from extinction. You know, I know it's, it's kind of cliche, but I want you to understand something. Nobody's born a Christian. You know, sometimes when we talk about, you know, I'm a first-generation Christian, or I'm a second-generation, third-generation Christian, what, whatever, and I know what we're talking about, or I know what we're saying when we say that, but in all reality, there's, there's, there's only first-generation Christians. Nobody got saved because their parents were saved. Nobody got saved because their grandparents were saved. Now, um, there's a more likelihood in the sense uh, you may have been raised in that environment, but, um, but every single person must come have that encounter, that personal relationship in G uh, with Jesus Christ where they call on him personally for their Savior. We have a personal God, and we ought to pass this along uh, to others. So Paul realizes that his days on earth were numbered, and he would leave some things behind. What would he leave behind? Um, by the way, some things that Paul did uh, probably vanished away with him shortly after. You know, Paul wrote three letters that we know of to the Corinthian church. God decided to preserve two of them. We don't know what was in that other one. And that's kind of interesting, right? 
But it's amazing to think that God preserved these ones. As God, as God inspired him to write the scriptures and then preserve it for us today, there's an eternal impact. Uh, the Bible tells us that the world, um, uh, um, all that is in the world, the lust, flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, uh, is not of the Father, it's of the world. And it says, and the world uh, um, perisheth or vanisheth away, but he that doeth the will of the Lord abideth forever. Think about that. All the things that we put ourselves to, as Solomon said it best, all is vanity. It all vanishes away, but, but the things that you put into the eternal abides forever. It can abide forever in a couple ways. One, you can think about the long-term impact. Think about even just raising a godly family. The long-term impact of generation being changed for the cause of Christ. It will outlive you. I think about the things done for eternity. One life will soon be passed. Only one's done for Christ will last, and it will last. I think about the judgment seat of Christ. It will go on for eternity. And folks, that's why we ought to be very serious about what, what we are doing and giving ourselves for. And I don't know if you've been watching the news. I tell you what, the more, uh, the more I hear the news, the more I see what's going on, even worldwide. Uh, it's, it's, it's charging me. Boy, we've got to get serious about this stuff. There's no, there's no time. There's no room for a complacent Christianity. Um, so now Paul, he's... Uh, he realized what, 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 you know, the importance of passing these things on. And so you think about two, two of his leading, if you would, uh, uh, students, um, the three pastoral epistles that were written, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, to his, two of his preacher boys, if you would. Ti uh, Timothy, of course, would be in Ephesus. Titus would be here in Crete, as we're looking at. And these men would be greatly used in the first century just take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think of all those who, who teach Sunday school, or preaching at the rescue mission, or or just involved in, 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 um, in some kind of other's ministry and teaching and bringing others along, how important it is. Uh, even just discipling your own children at home, to think about passing that on uh, to that next generation. You know, all it takes is a few of us just giving up on our responsibility for this thing to just fade away. And can I say, I think that's actually what's been happening in America. How do we get to the place where we became a post-Christian society? I think a lot of Christians became derelict in their duty. And by the way, history repeats itself. If you're a student at all of church history, you see, you see the, uh, there were the times of persecution and that really built strong Christians uh, uh, willing to take a stand for Christ and even burn at the stake. And, uh, and then it was almost like, you know, uh, that led to, to maybe some easier times and the churches thrived and got big and they got big, beautiful buildings and all these things were happening and, and then persecution rose up again. And then what, what happened? They, they, they all kind of scattered or they fell by the wayside and there was a few that would kind of stay strong and, and you'd go through these patterns. And I just want to say, I think we've been so blessed in America that, that we have not counted the cost of following Christ. And so we've gotten soft, and there's no conviction, and, 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 and Christianity is just sort of a, a side thing. You know, if I've got time, if I can fit it into my busy schedule, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make room for it, and, and that's kind of how we view it. And so when we start talking about something with conviction, or we start talking about taking something seriously, uh, all of a sudden it's like this, just like you're speaking another language. And, 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 and people are kind of like, I don't get what you're saying. I, I, I'm not connecting the dots. I, why are you so fired up? What's the urgency here? And, and we're missing it. It's not been, not stirred our hearts. 
Judges 2, verse number 10, the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That was a sad state starting off the book of Judges. Of course, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, I kind of call the book of Judges Israel's soap opera. I mean, <laughs> it was just ups and downs and uh, just crazy things going on all over the place. And uh, it was definitely a book of drama. But it all started with this. A generation came up that didn't know God. But that's chapter 2 of Judges. If we re- go back and see all of 1 and 2 and building up to that, we start to see that that the parents were violating the very things God gave them to do. They're making, they're making deals and treaties with the nations around them, which God said, do not do. They're, they're marrying the, the, the women of the nations around them, which God said, Did, do not do, because then you go after the gods around them and all these things. And what happened? It thrust them into these, these all the kinds of abominations, and they didn't know God. I'm afraid that's kind of where we're at today. And by the way, as, a, as both a parent and a pastor, I so, want, I so want my children to see something about Christianity beyond, I mean, I mean, yes, I want them saved. Boom. That, that's like the most important thing. I want to make sure they're saved and know, know the Lord. But beyond that, I want to see something to give themselves for. I want to see, I want to see, I want them to see God do amazing things. And, and if by us stepping out by faith, you see, what happened when there was a generation which came up that knew not God, neither the things that he had done for Israel, somewhere along the way they stopped talking about it. Somewhere along the way they stopped sharing with their children. And, and, and the biggest thing is they did not bring them along on the journey, so they never got to see anything firsthand of what God could do. See, there's only so far you can take answering the question, what meaneth these stones? See, the nation of Israel, they said, I want you to put up these monuments, these memorials, these stones, so when uh, your children come and say, hey, what meaneth these stones? You can say, well, let me tell you what God did. That's a wonderful thing. We should have some monuments. We should have some things where we can say, look at what God did. But we also need some new stories and say, look what God is doing. Look what God has done for you. And listen, that's why I know it kind of gets, gets mundane or gets repetitive Sunday nights when I say, hey, does anybody have any testimonies? Anything God's doing? I want to see God do some things. And if God has stirred you, if God has done something uh, during the week, maybe answered a prayer or maybe give you an opportunity, a divine appointment to share the gospel with somebody, hey, let's talk about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's, let's give an answer. David said, I will praise him in the great congregation. See, it's one thing to have my personal praise life and prayer life. But where's the testifying of the goodness of God among believers? And say, look what God is doing. Look what he has done. I want my children to see that. I want them to say, hey, I'm excited to go to church again because we're going to come together and we're going to get charged up because, listen, uh, let me say, Christian life is not just what happens in these four walls. We should be challenging each other to grow and to go beyond. And, and, and I do believe that's what the Apostle Paul's passion was and desire was for those that he was training. Let's, let's, let's take the Christian life beyond just, okay, you know, I'm studying my Bible and I'm memorizing my scriptures and I've got my little, my little schedule and I'm on track for my Bible in a year and I've you know, got these little things going on. But, but that's a real spiritual battle that we are in. And when we start stepping in and realizing the spiritual battle aspect of it, let me just tell you, the Christian life gets exciting real quick. 
I think we're losing our young people because there's nothing that we're giving themselves to as it relates to God. I, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, December and going into January this year. Uh, we're going to have a Vision Sunday in January, and we're going to talk about some things. But one of the things that I'm really excited about is our church's role and what we're going to be doing in re- as it relates to missions. Um, not just financially throwing money at missionaries. I mean, I want every one of our young people to go on the mission field throughout their upbringing. I don't mean be full-time missionaries. If God leads them to do that, then I, boy, I'll be excited about that. Uh, I'm not, it's not my job to call them. But I want to get them all on the mission field. Multiple times. I want them to see what God is doing. And what God wants to do. So we look at this, Paul is, is, is addressing some things. And, and we see kind of the spiritual relationship between uh, Paul and Titus here as, as we look at this. Uh, first of all, it's a spiritual relationship. And that's, that's really what I want to focus on is the importance of developing spiritual relationships. First thing he points out is, is he refers to him as a son. Look at verse number four again. Titus, my own son, after the common faith. My own son. Notice that personal aspect. See, he had personally witnessed God doing a work in Titus's heart. By the way, let me just say, when you're mentoring, when you're discipling, and you're working with others, there's nothing more exciting than when they just kind of get it. You know, Derek, we've spent a lot of time together, and there's just been times, uh, I, know, I know both of you, we're not, we're sitting down one-on-one, neither of us are really excitable people, we're just kind of, you know, yeah, you know, just kind of going through <laughs> about, but, but there have been times, you know, you, you, you left my office or at my house and uh, walked away, and I just, I remember going to Carrie, and I was like, man, he's getting it. He's getting it, and I just get so excited because, you know, and, and you'll say, you know what, maybe a decision, or, you know, the Lord's going to be dealing with me about this, and and uh, man, that's so exciting as, as someone who's just, you know, you, you just wonder, you're, you're taking the word of God and you're just trying to share with them. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden they get a hold of it. See, Paul saw that happen in Titus' life. Titus begins asking certain questions. And here's Paul. He's like, <laughs> he's asking the right questions. And, and I, maybe one day Titus comes up to Paul and he says, you know, um, Paul, I don't know if you could... Uh, if I'm of any value or anything, but I just want you to know that if, if you need anything, if I can just assist you in any way, I'm available. Paul's like, yes, that's something I can work with. That's, that's something I, I, you know, and then a little more, more time goes by and, and you, know, uh, you know, Paul, I just, I notice how, how, I notice how you've suffered with such grace. Paul, can I, can I support you in prayer? Can you let me know in prayer? Requests come up. I'd like to pray for you. Paul's like, yeah, you're kidding me. Can, can, I, can I carry your bags? And then Paul says, Titus, I'm going to this town, and there's a group of people over here, and they want to have a Bible study, and uh, I'd like you to lead the study tonight. Titus like, I, I'm here for you, Paul, but I'm, I don't know if I could teach a lesson. I don't know if I'm re- quite there yet. And, and, and Paul says, oh, you're ready. You say, did that conversation happen? Probably close to that. Because I know how the progression works. You first you go and you be a servant. Joshua was a servant to Moses. And you watch him. If you, if you ever do, do a study of Joshua before the book of Joshua. And, and you'll find Joshua just, 
he was just faithful. He was just there. You know who waited 40 days for Moses to come off Mount Sinai? It wasn't the children of Israel. They started worshiping the golden calf. They started doing their own thing without talking to people. He waited halfway up the mountain, Joshua did, for Moses. Now, you ever have your mind play games with you? <laughs> Can you imagine the commitment Joshua had to have had? 40 days sitting there. Man, it has been a long time. And he's sitting there, and he's waiting faithfully for Moses to come down. And Moses comes down. I don't know about you, I would have given up. I would have gone down the mountain. Moses goes into the tabernacle and he meets with God. And God speaks to Moses. And Moses leaves the tabernacle. Where's Joshua? He stayed. I just want to carry a little longer. Fast forward. God calls Joshua to take Moses' place. There's no pride. There's no, I knew it. I'm, I'm the captain. I'm the commander. I'm the one that's going to take this charge. Of course it's me. That's an obvious choice, God. Yeah, I don't know what to do. So God tells him over and over again, be strong. Be very courageous. Be of good courage. Because he was a humble servant. You see this over and over again. You know, Elisha was Elijah's servant. You see Paul, you see Titus, you see Timothy serving with Paul, being available, whatever he wanted me to do. And, and they were there, and they were serving. And he was pouring himself into them, and he was training them. So he had personally witnessed God working in his life. And let me just say, there's no greater relationship, really, uh, spiritually, than, than, than when you've shared the gospel with somebody, and they grabbed a hold of it, and you disciple them, and you work with them. They become your son in the faith. That's what Paul's relationship was to Titus, to Timothy. So he had a very unique relationship with Titus. In Acts 15, uh, Paul goes down to Jerusalem, and they've been discussing this issue, the, the Jewish believers. And as Gentile believers started getting saved, many of the Jewish believers, they said, hey, they need to step into our traditions. They need to step into our, uh, our cultural aspect of our, of our faith. And they need to get circumcised, and they need to follow these, these different things that, that we've done. And there's this big discussion going on. And Paul actually brings Titus to, as an example. He says, here's Titus, a Gentile believer who has never been circumcised. He's got the Holy Spirit. God is working in his life. And he was one of the, he was exhibit A as he stood there. Eventually, James, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up and he gives his recommendation. He gives his assessment of the situation. He says, you know what? I believe the gospel has gone to them just as it's come to us. And he says, and it is by grace. And they don't have to do these things. See, he, he was used in that way. Titus was a traveling companion of Paul in 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. He said, furthermore, uh, when I came to Troas to preach, uh, preach Christ's gospel, a door is opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence to Macedonia. Um, he was a trusted minister. He brought comfort to Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God, would put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Philippians 2.20, uh, Timothy had a very similar relationship with him. He, talking about Timothy, uh, he said to the Philippian believers, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. See, I don't know how to explain the level of trust Paul had in T Titus and in Timothy, but 
These were two men in particular that Paul had poured himself into to develop. See, when Paul spoke of his relationship, he spoke of this spiritual sonship. Timothy, my son. Titus, my son. You know, we ought to pray, Lord, give me someone I can invest in their lives. Give me a spiritual child. Give me someone that I can pour myself into and mentor along. And, and listen, it's not, it's not always going to be just you know, this formal Bible study. Uh, I, I, like, I like Paul's model. Paul's model is very similar to Jesus' model. You know what it was? A roving Bible college. All right, guys, travel light because we're going. And they went. And they experienced real life, what real ministry looked like. See, there's a passion to train and to pass on to the next generation. We see this uh, relational aspect, call him a son in the faith. And what, what was this sonship, you know, what brought this relationship together? I think, secondly, it was a common faith. It was a common faith. You know, I'm thankful that faith crosses generational lines. It's not like, well, here's, you know, here's this generation's faith and what it looked like. But, you know, for the new one, and by the way, aren't some trying to do that? Here's the, the modern Christianity. Here's what faith looks like today. No, 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 it's a common faith. It's the same faith. And let me just say this. Some liberal theologians have taken this passage, this idea of the common faith, uh, to promote universalism. You know, the common faith, you know, uh, we're born into this. We're all eventually going to be saved. We're all eventually going to get there. Can I say that's not what this is talking about? Um, one author said this, Universalism has never been widely accepted by those who take the Scripture seriously. Obviously, if the teaching were true, there would be no pressing need to fulfill the Great Commission or to urge unbelievers to accept Christ in, their, in this life. In fact, even the Pope said, said uh, an atheist can go to heaven as long as he is true to his conscience. <laughs> now, even if that were true, what does the Bible say about following your conscience? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Folks, an unregenerate conscience is just going to lead you to more. Well, Paul said about in Galatians, the works of the flesh are, are manifest. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, all, all these, you know, goes into all kinds of gross immorality. Folks, that's what we see around us. That's the, that's the full-fledged, you know, following following after that. Rather, this is talking about the common faith that is in Jesus Christ, the faith that anyone who is in the faith, anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, God's common salvation, there's no other way to be saved. There's no other way of coming to God. Um, uh, Jesus even said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's the common faith. In Jude 3, um, as Jude is writing his uh, general epistle, and he said, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, the salvation that is common to all believers, it was needful for me to write unto you, exhort you, that you should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Why should they be earnestly contending for this faith once delivered, this common salvation? Because there were ungodly men that crept in that they're going to have to defend against that they're going to have to earnestly contend against who are not part of this common salvation. You see, this is one of the reasons, by the way, I love church. I love fellowshipping with other believers, the common faith, the family of God, as we gather around God's Word, as we come together and say, you know, uh, I just, <laughs> there's such a connection. Uh, when, 
when you're around someone else who has been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has who uh, allowed the Word of God to, 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 make, to do its work in them, there is a con- you see it, there's a common faith that has developed. Um, one thing I do miss, uh, there's not many things that I miss uh, Cal- from California, <laughs> but one thing I do miss is, um, is we did have a really neat network of churches. And we would have, um, we would have get-togethers, we'd have men's retreats, and the ladies would have retreats, and we'd have youth conferences with our teenagers, and, we'd, you know, and, and uh, a couple of these men's retreats I would go to, you go and you meet friends for the first time, and before the weekend's over, you feel like you've just, man, I've known these people my whole life. There is a common faith, there is a common salvation. These are my brothers, my long-lost brothers that I, <laughs> that I just met, and, and boy, we, we hit it off. I mean... There are times when I had a better time, you know, felt closer and you get to know them than, than family reunions. <laughs> In fact, that's what those were like. They were like family reunions. Why? Because we're of the common faith. You know, we sing that. Uh, there's a song, I think it's in our songbook. Um, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. You know, that ought to be the thing that gets us excited about coming together, about gathering together. I, I'm concerned about believers that don't like to spend time with other believers. Um, now, there's an element with me. I'm, I'm kind of introverted by nature. I kind of like my alone time. Um, but but uh, I, do, I tell you what, you know, I'm always energized. I'm always encouraged when I can just come together with God's people around the family of God. Uh, this common faith, it's the spiritual gift from God. See, Paul is speaking to Titus here, and he speaks of this special spiritual relationship. And then he talks of, you know, he gives a spiritual blessing. Look at it again in verse number four. Uh, to Titus, my own son, after the, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Grace, mercy, and peace. Um, this is a three, uh, sort of a threefold blessing that he gives. And this is not just, you know, flowery language or something Paul often says. But there was something behind this. These are the blessings that all of us received when we got saved. And Paul's bringing this to the forefront again. We see, we see uh, grace. Uh, that's the source of our redemption. Receiving something that you do not deserve. It is a gift from God. Folks, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And, and, and boy, I think it's so important that we keep the gospel in front of us, the grace by which we were saved, the way which we are saved, keeping that in front of us because that's going to, uh, that ought to excite us, that ought to, that ought to keep us motivated, that ought to keep our hearts stirred. Think about who you were before Christ, who you are after Christ, and what God has called you to because of Christ. You see, there ought to be, a, uh, there ought not to be a person in the common faith uh, by the way, we, we are, let me just say this. When we, when we receive this gift, the gift of God, the gift of grace, once we've received grace, we can extend grace. That's so important in the Christian life, right? If I've experienced the grace of God, I should be a grace giver. And when we think about this common faith and the, the family of God, there should be nobody that, as a believer, I hold a grudge against. We talk about that a lot on Sunday. There should be nobody in this common faith, this common salvation, that I can't kneel down next to and pray with. Share a blessing with. Have have that fellowship around the Lord Jesus Christ, that communion around the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because of what God has done for me, allows me to be a certain way in others' lives. He says grace. And then he says mercy. So grace is, is, is the source of our redemption. Mercy is the display of our redemption. As God showed mercy to, me, to a sinner like me, listen, God could have given me what I deserve. And he'd be just. He could have, he could have uh, you know, sent me to a sinner's hell. He could have, he could have uh, you know, poured his wrath out upon me. But, but no, no, he, he chose to forgive me, and he, and he laid down his life for me that I would be free, that I'd be saved. He withheld from me that just punishment that I deserved. And think about how that impacts others, how it ought to. We saw uh, in the book of James, uh, mercy is better than judgment. Mercy. And then he said peace. Peace is the result of our redemption. Ultimately, our eternity. Isn't there such peace in knowing that I have eternal life? Isn't there such peace in knowing that I'm, I'm settled, that I can rest in my Savior? But you know, it's also there's peace for this life. He gives us peace that passes all understanding. And you know, we see, we see in this uh, salutation that really a doctrinal uh, expression of what we received at salvation, but but these three things, grace, mercy, and peace, ought to be a part of our everyday life. You see, the gra- it took grace to save you and me. That is true. And if we're not careful, sometimes we kind of leave it there at the cross, or we leave it there at Calvary. But you know, God wants, to, well, God wants us to live in His grace every single day. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The grace of God, folks, is molding me and making me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's challenging. He says, hey, live in light of this, of your grace. Live in light of the mercy. Live in light of the peace so that we can be people of grace. We can be people of mercy and we can be people of peace. See, if I've received these great blessings, we've got to share the blessings. You know, you and I, we're not just here to be a reservoir of God's blessings. We're to be a conduit of God's blessings. Something that God can pass it through to others. For uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18. In fact, why don't we turn there real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.18. A few verses I want to show you there. Are we all right this evening? Okay. A few people awake. Second Corinthians 5, look at verse number 18 here. And it says this, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know every one of us has been given a ministry? Folks, if the gospel is not a part of, a, of our personal purpose. And if it's not a part of our church's purpose, let me just say we've missed the ministry that has been given to us. It says that he's, he's given to us this ministry. Notice what it says again. Uh, it continues into verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Anybody here uh, fans of football? 
One. All right. You know, it's funny. Derek, next second, look at this. You know, it's funny. I, I'm not a big sports guy, and it seems like every, I know there are churches, man, they get in, especially college football and everything, and it seems like every church I've pastored has not been big sports churches, and I, I hope they just weren't afraid to talk about it because I'm not a big sports guy. But, you know, I do know enough to know that, uh, that sometimes you may get a quarterback that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes he might come a little short on his passes, or sometimes you might have a receiver. That no matter how good the quarterback is, it's like he, uh, he, uh, he's got butter on his fingers, right? They <laughs> call that butter fingers. And uh, he may grip the ball. He may have it in his hands for a second, but then he fumbles it. He drops it. Now, can you ever score a touchdown if you fumble it each time? No. Um, you know, and, and so here's the idea. Here's the quarterback, and he's got that ball. And his job is to commit that ball to somebody else. So he goes and he gets open. There's Nick back there, and I throw it to him. I've now committed that to you, Nick. It's out of my hands. The, the commitment has been made. It is heading your way, and you are taking control of that thing, right? So you catch the baby, I mean the ball, <laughs> and uh, you've got a hold of that thing, right? Well, now, think about it. Your team is depending on you to carry that ball. When you fumble it, now we're talking about the ball, not the baby. You fumble that thing. Who have you let down? The whole team. And I'll be, yeah. And don't, just don't even plan on coming home tonight. <laughs> You've let everybody down. It's been committed to your trust. It's been committed to your care. And you had a job to carry that thing and fulfill the mission, right? What's the team's mission? The team's mission is ultimately to win. To score, to get that across there, and it, it's play by play, moment by moment, um, uh, to, in order to have a successful game. So here's God committing to us this ministry of reconciliation, and when we miss an opportunity here or we fail to share it there, what are we doing? We are fumbling this mission, this, this commitment, this trust that has been given to us. We've fumbled. Notice he's, it, the Bible says that He has given to us this ministry of reconciliation. God put the ball in our hands. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray ye in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You see the, the commitment and the fervor there, beseech you, be reconciled, pleading, be reconciled to God. That's been committed to our trust. 2 Corinthians 9.9, uh, 9, the Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That's just a couple chapters over, but in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the grace of giving. They were introduced to the thought in chapter 8 when he talks about the grace that was bestowed on the church of Macedonia and how they were stepping out by faith and they were giving and how God was expanding them and stretching them in this area of giving. And, and he, says, he says, I know that you abound in a lot of things. You abound in your faith and your utterance, the ability to speak the word of God, your knowledge, your understanding of the word of God. He, has all the, he lists all these things, these spiritual gifts. And he says, I want you guys to see that you abound in this grace also. And when you do so, you step into that. By the time we get to this verse in chapter 9, he says this in verse uh, 9 of chapter 9. Um, um, I'm sorry, I wrote the wrong uh, reference. Uh, a verse number, 
Verse number 8, excuse me. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Not just the grace of giving, but all these other graces as you've stepped out into this, that you always have an all-sufficiency in all things, uh, may abound to every good work. Your, your Christian life and your influence and your ability to serve Him just simply takes off. Why? Because you've made yourself a conduit. You've received God's blessings. You pass on God's blessings. God's put me here to, with the ministry of reconciliation to share the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God. As I've experienced it, I pass that on. And so Paul's saying so much in these introductory remarks here. It's not just, you know, you know, oh, you know, Paul the Apostle, I'm writing to you, Timothy. But he's really laying down some things. Hey, you're my son in the faith. God's called us to this, to this grace, mercy, and peace. And, um, and, and, uh, and he lays it out in that manner. So we see the spiritual relationships. We see this spiritual blessing that he says. And notice, uh, notice lastly, I just want to point out uh, the spiritual origin. Where did this come from? What is the source of, uh, of all this? What's the source of us in our spiritual relationships with one another? What is the source of these spiritual blessings? Well, we see there, there in verse number 4, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and over the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. The source from God Himself. See, Titus' blessings did not come from Paul, though Paul blessed him. Paul's blessings did not come from himself. But he's passing on and he's reminding the source of all the blessings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts, and praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why? He's the one from whom the blessings flow. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, from whom there is no uh, uh, variableness nor shadow of turning. This is the God that pours out His blessings on us. In fact, the Bible says that He's even kind to the ungodly. He's a good God. So even as we're sharing this ministry of reconciliation and we're pleading with people to come to Christ, we're reminding them, hey, you've been blessed. But you want to talk about blessing. Be ye reconciled to God. We plead with them. God is the origin. He is the one who provides the spiritual birth so that we can have this family of blessing. As Father, He provides care for us. 2 Corinthians 13 14, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye, uh, that ye uh, I'm excuse, excuse me, that was the previous one I just read. Let me uh, get this right. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Got to love when I'm putting in verses and I copy and paste and the old verse are still hanging on the clipboard. <laughs> 2 Corinthians uh, 13 and verse number 14 says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. That was his salutation at the end of 2 Corinthians. And he says, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. You know, God loves you. John 16, verse 27, the Father himself loveth you. Think about that. The Father himself loveth you because you have loved me, uh, Jesus said, and have believed that I am come out from God. I heard a sermon years ago. This pastor was blaspheming. He literally, in his sermon, was saying how God hates you. And the only reason he forgave anybody was for Christ's sake. And I'm thinking, have you read your Bible? <laughs> for God so loved the world that he sent, he sent his only begotten son. God loves you. 
God wants to meet your needs. Matthew 6, 26, Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? You know, God comforts. This is one of my favorite things. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be God, even the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How much comfort? All comfort who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know what he's saying there? God gives it to us so we can give it to others. God comforts me so I can comfort others. And as I'm going through specific difficulties, have you ever noticed how people who have, who have suffered a particular trial is able to help someone else going through the same trial? That's how God does it. And we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves are comforted. We receive grace from God. We share grace with the same grace we've been given. We receive mercy. We share mercy with the same mercy we've been given. We receive peace from God. We share the same peace with others that we have been given. I remember um, I remember, I was going to... Uh, <clears throat> um, years ago, uh, you know, I was in the church planning ministry in the early days, and... Um, I was able to use the GI Bill to help kind of offset our income. Uh, actually, that was our income for some for a while, as uh, as just uh, we were in a tough place. And um, I remember uh, there was a government shutdown or something, and uh, there was no paychecks going out even for the you know those getting the the GI Bill as I was going to school full time. And I remember uh, I was down to my last twenty dollars. No, no, I wasn't even down to that. I didn't have any money, and my tank was on empty. And it was an hour drive to where I was going to, to college. I was going to University of Phoenix doing night classes. And, um, and uh, I remember getting there. And uh, the way the school there works is uh, you have these study groups. And um, in every class, they're all structured very similar. And you would do group presentations. And like 60% of your grade was your group's grade. And then 40% was like your own or something like it, some weird numbers. Anyways, um, so we're studying with the group. And there's a guy there I was witnessing to in my group, and, and, uh, and he was kind of stressing. You know, he was a single man. He really didn't have, have many bills. He knew I had a wife and kids, and, and I was the only income. And um, he was stressing that, the, that the, we didn't get the checks. And he's looking at me. He's like, he's like, I don't know how you're not, you know, freaking out right now. And, and you know, he's telling me. And I said, uh, so, you know, God's always taking care of me. And, um, and I said, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know how I'm going to get home because my tank's not empty, but, but God's, God's going to do something. And he was, he was just blown away. He's like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could have that kind of faith. And anyways, I told him, you know, God's going to do something. He always does, is basically what I said to him. And uh, that night was our final. And uh, one of the guys in our group was sick, and he had missed several days. And so I, I had been kind of tutoring him over the phone and helping him with some of the stuff. And uh, so we had, we had finished our tests. And one of the other guys in our group that, that I was helping with, he just sort of came by and put $20 on the table next to me and said, hey, just want to say thank you for your help and kept walking. And uh, that other guy that I said, you know, God is always taking care of me, he saw that whole thing un un unfold. <laughs> and he's like, wow. And, uh, and now that, that other guy in the group, he, didn't, he was not in the conversation. He didn't know that my gas tank was empty or anything like that. He just put $20 on the table and said, hey, thank you for your help. And, uh, you know, I was like, God gives us these things, folks, to show his goodness, to show what he's done, to be a testimony, to say, hey, be reconciled to God. 
You know, how much more are you going to be pushing against this, fighting against this? God gives it to us, we give it out to others. God's the source. Um, and then he ends with this, a uh, uh, little end with this. He, he points and, and emphasizes within the source the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number four again. Titus, my own son, in the common, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord, uh, the Lord Christ, our Savior. You know, many times you may see, especially in the salutations, almost an interchangeability when he talks about God the Father and God the Son. John uh, 10, verse number 30, I and my Father are one. I get a kick out of people, by the way, who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. <clears throat> John 10, verse 30, the words of Jesus, those red letters, if you have a red letter edition, I and my Father are one, Jesus said. First uh, John 5, 20, and we, know that, uh, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. You know, the great blessing when we receive the Father is the Son, which is the true God. He that received the Father receives the Son. What a blessing. In all the blessings that God has given to us, He's given us to share. He's, he's, he's put us in this great position. This, this is the call of Paul. He trained Titus with the mindset to train others. And we're here tonight, with, and we ought to adopt the same mindset. This is what God wants us to have, that God has put us here. And as we grow, it is to impart in others. And by the way, let me just say, every one of us are in a different place in our Christian life, but there's somebody we're mentoring. There's somebody we're looking to, and there's somebody that's following us. And what are we doing? We are, we are receiving and we're passing it on. And we are receiving and we're passing it on. And we receive from God and we pass it on. And folks, that's what we are here to be a blessing. We are here to serve. We are here to share. We are here to pass this thing on. And when all we ever do is take, 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 folks, we're going to start dying. We're going to start dying. That's not what we're made to do. In fact, nothing in life is that way. Um... How many are familiar with the Dead Sea? A few people have heard of it. Do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? Because nothing lives in it. Do you know why nothing lives in it? Because it's the Dead Sea. No. <laughs> because this sea has all inlets but no outlet. It just takes in and takes in and takes in and takes in. Around here, we have several uh, sloughs and rivers that come through. But you ever notice when you get to an area where uh, it, it kind of turns into a swamp and nothing's moving? Is that where you like to go swimming? Why? Nasty. It stinks, right? It's not attractive at all. Folks, that's the Christian life. Sometimes when all we ever do is just take in, take in, take in, you know what starts to happen? We start to stink. I'm serious, spiritually. We start to stink. We just take, 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 take. And God has not put us here for that. We are to, uh, there's a point where we, start ha we have to start passing on. Now, there may be seasons. There may be seasons where you just need to be ministered to for a while. But at some point, we're called to minister, to be a blessing to share, to pass on what has been trusted to us. 
All these blessings have been given to us to share. So we see the emphasis on spiritual relationships. We ought to pray, Lord, allow me to have a son in the faith, a daughter in the faith, someone I can impart truth, not just the uh, gospel, and that's a great starting place, and that's, that we should be emphasizing, but, but, but someone that we can take on and, and, and pass on some things and to, to train and to help and to mentor. And um, When I look at uh, Ephesians 4, you, know, you hear me reference Ephesians 4 often, but, uh, but I do believe God's will for the church is that it gets to such a mature place that every member is a minister. And it, it becomes a self-edifying body. Everyone's building up everyone. And, that's, and it's not just, you know, oh, we're, you go around and everyone's patting you on the back. Hey, you know, it's just a big, big, encouraging church. No, no, to be built up is not just we're being encouraged, but uh, though that may be a part of it, but we're being instructed. We are growing. We're pressing towards something. And so we ought to emphasize the, the need for spiritual relationships. We see the emphasis on the spiritual blessings. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And then we see the source of those blessings. God the Father and Savior Jesus Christ. And um, what a, uh, so much packed in these salutations. We'll start getting into some of the meat of this epistle next week. But... Um, but uh, just uh, some things definitely to think about and, and ask yourself, with those that you are around, are, are these our emphasis, emphases? Are these the things that we are giving ourselves for? Or have I fallen into the trap, the consumer mentality of just take, 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 take? And it's that way in my relationships, and it's that way at work, and it's that way, and, and I'm not the one that's giving out as I've been given. And so... Uh, challenge for us this evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, 